We are starting a new series today, and uh, it's kind of like the series that we did uh, back a few weeks ago called Text. This is an equipping series, and so what we mean by that is that we want you to spend some time reflecting, evaluating a spiritual discipline, just like we did with Text. We wanted you to talk about how you read and how much time you spend reading and that sort of thing and engaging. Well, we want to do that with prayer. And so one of the things that we did for Text that we're going to do for you in this series as well, we're going to leave you kind of a guide. And so on your seat, you can also download this. Uh, it'll be in the newsletter. If you get the newsletter, you can go. In fact, I think at, at 1015, it was scheduled to hit Facebook. And so you can go and download this if you're not a paper, if you're a green person. Some people like paper. Uh, but each week, you're going to find these in your seats. And it's just a guide through some prayer time and some reading time. We chose Psalms. And the reason we chose Psalms is because Psalms is a collection of poetry. It is a collection of prayers. And we find language in that. And so if we're in some good moments, we find celebratory language. If we're in some really like some valleys and man, we're struggling and we feel frustrated, you're going to find language in some of those as well. And so we want you to read through the Psalms starting today. You'll get all the way through those by the end of this series. But also we've included just some sample prayers. These are not prayers that are magic in any way. They're not meant to be repetitious. They're just meant to again, begin to get the wheels turning on language for some of us who might need that little extra encouragement. So take this with you, work through it, and then Sunday you're going to find week two, so forth and so on. And again, it's just about getting us started, okay? And so uh, we're going we're gonna to just do this together and see where God takes us in the next six weeks. Sound good? All right, I'm going to pray for us, and then we'll kind of jump in. Father, this morning, will you occupy not just the space of this gymnasium, but will you occupy the space of our minds and our hearts? Father, I pray this morning that you will begin to open up some doors of communication. And for some of us, that may mean some questions about some doubts we have. It may mean some questions of just some things that we are skeptical of. For some of us, it's questions about the next step. Or God, it's questions about who you are and, and what you're doing in my life. But God, will you begin to use this as an opportunity for us to communicate with you and to be listeners of what it is that you will reveal to us through your word and through the people that we meet and, and the journey that we go on together. So Father, just again, use this time to again begin to equip us, to challenge us, to encourage us to be involved in this communication known as prayer. We pray this through your son's name, amen. I want to begin the series with a simple question, and this question is going to kind of resurface a couple times uh, throughout the course of, of this series. But before I tell you the question, here's what I want you to know. I'm not going to ask you to answer out loud. I'm not going to have you raise your hand if you fit in a certain category. I'm not going to have you go online or fill out a survey to let us know where you are. Uh, it's not that kind of question. But what we do want to do this, we want you to evaluate. We want you to take a second and reflect on the question and then allow that, that question to be the catalyst, kind of the springboard that's going to take you into this series. We don't want you to shrink away. We don't want you to go, oh goodness, he's talking to me this morning and I knew this was going to come up. I knew that's why I didn't want to go to church. I knew that there was going to be this question that puts some sort of expectation and I, I, and I don't want you to shrink in your seat and go, oh goodness, because I don't answer a certain way, I'm not as perfect at this as everybody else in the crowd. It's, just a, it's, it's a question for you. It's a question that I want you to spend some time again reflecting and if you answer one of these ways, I don't want you to be embarrassed. I don't want you to feel ashamed. I don't want suddenly this weight of guilt to come over you. If you answer the question that I'm about to ask, well, it's not 
If you, if you answer the question well, it's not good. Or it's okay, but it could be better. I don't want you to suddenly go into this place in your mind and in your, your heart and go, wow, now I feel bad. But here's the question. It's a simple question. How's your prayer life? How's your prayer life? And again, I don't want you to raise your hand when I say, for those that's non-existent, will you raise your hand and come on back to respond? We're going to begin praying for your prayer life. For those that say, well, you know, it's not regular. For some, it's going to be like, well, it's, it's okay, but it doesn't seem to really get any farther than surface. For some, you may say, well, it's good, but I'd like for it to be better. I'm looking for kind of next level. And again, this is not a judgment of your current prayer life. This is not what this series is about. It's not for you to go, wow, now I feel really bad about because I don't do, and I don't do this, and I fail. I know I should do this, but I don't. It's none of those things. This series is about you taking your next step, wherever you are, wherever you fit on the spectrum. It's about you gaining perspective about some things, but it's also about you beginning to set up some areas of participation that's going to lead you into a meaningful, rich deep prayer life. So regardless of what, how you answer that question today, regardless of where your current status on the prayer chart and prayer chain of things that could be and should be and you know better, I don't care where you're at today. Where I want you to do is lean in and see where God takes you over the next few weeks. And better yet, I want you to lean in and not be afraid to ask for help. See, as I begin to evaluate the things that I'm at least decent at in my life or the things that I'm okay at or the things that I'm better at than I used to be, I got to think in every single one of those areas traces back to me somewhere asking someone, can you show me how to do this better? Guys, I am terrible from about 70 yards in on the golf course. But I'm better because I asked some guys that I play with that are good 70 in, can you show me what I'm doing wrong? Can you show me how to do something better? And, and what I figured out that moving the ball six inches one way or the other makes a world of difference. But every area that I begin to look at in my life that I'm making strides, I'm better than I used to be or I'm good at, every single one of those traces back to somebody somewhere that I said, hey, can I get some help here? Can I get some guidance? But here's the problem. Somehow, we got this idea in the spiritual world that that's off limits. Somehow, we got this, this, this concept in our minds that says, the minute I begin to follow Jesus, I automatically should know everything. And I automatically should be good at everything. And in these moments that I don't feel quite as good, I somehow I'm afraid to ask because I'm afraid of some sort of judgment that says, hmm, you should be better at this. You say you're a Jesus follower, and you call yourself a Christian. And somehow that causes us to shrink in this place where without ever asking another question, we ask all kinds of questions leading up to us kind of surrendering our life to Jesus, but when that moment happens, it's almost like there's this unspoken expectation by other Jesus followers, or at least what we think is an unspoken expectation, that suddenly I have to be like or I have to act like or I have to be on the same level as those who taught me. And so we kind of shrink, am I right? We kind of shrink into ourselves and go, I'd really like to ask a question here. 
I'm really struggling here. I don't feel like I do well with this, but I better not ask because that's going to make me look less committed. It's going to make me look less of a Christian. Or maybe there's some things that we lack and we have this hard time saying, I don't know and I don't know how to do this well and and, and I don't know everything about everything. Can we stop this? Can we just stop and say it's okay? It's it's okay to ask for help. And here's the, the end result. If you let this continue to go without ever asking, it's not good for you. It's not good for you, and it's not good for your testimony. It's not good to others. And so, guys, if you don't know anything about Wellhouse, we try to be real. And so this is safe space where you can go, listen, when it comes to prayer, I'm not good at this. I have a disconnect. There's just something about prayer. I try, you know, I can get the kind of prayer for the meal down. And, you know, if, if somebody gets sick in the house, you know, we, we pray. But when it comes to this deep, meaningful, purposeful, like life-giving, I struggle with this. And can we just get to a place where we say, listen, I want to be real in this. Say, I don't know. I'm not great, but I'm trying to get better. And oh yeah, by the way, while we're at it, I lack in that area and I lack in this area. There's so many things. And so part of what God has done in in the establishment of community and church is this, has given us this body of people who says, listen, none of us have it together. So can I help you and you help me? And that's what all of this is about. There's nothing embarrassing. There's nothing meant to be guilt ridden or shameful about saying, I need spiritual help. I need to be able to get some guidance here. And here's why I know this. Because the disciples did this. Guys, if you don't know what, who the disciples, they were these, this group of people that were the closest to Jesus. They watched from the very beginning of his ministry, they watched and mimicked every move and they leaned in and they would listen and, and sometimes they got it and sometimes they didn't and we see as time goes, they really blew it in some areas. But the more I get to know about these guys, the more I realized that they were wide open when it came to saying, Jesus, we don't know what we're doing here. And in the moments that they didn't have the awareness to, to ask those questions, Jesus would point it out. And there's an example of this concerning such an integral, fundamental thing in prayer. There's a, an example of this. So in Luke chapter 11, here's what happens. One day when Jesus was praying in a certain place, when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, now stop right there, here's what I think is happening. One of the disciples drew the short straw. I think they were all asking this. But it was one of those deals where they were back there playing paper, rock, scissors. Who's going to be the one to ask the question? And I think one guy kind of walked up and the others are standing behind him. This is not a one-man thing. This is a collective group of individuals who have spent intimate time following Jesus. Listen to what they say. Lord, teach us to pray. It's a question. Lord, can you teach us how to pray like you. Now here's the scene. Jesus is praying. His disciples take notice. He's over there. He's kind of up in the top of the bleachers, and they go, that's different. Now here's what you need to understand about these guys. It's not that they weren't familiar with prayer. These are Jewish people. They had probably seen a variety of prayers in a variety of different places and had probably recited those their entire life or at least parts of those prayers their entire life since childhood. They knew what prayer was, but when they saw Jesus, they said, no, 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 that's different. That's different. I've not seen that. I've not experienced that. And it led them to a reflection and an evaluation that says, but I want to. 
I want to know what that's like. I want to participate like that. I want to pray like Jesus prays. And so it leads them to this question, Lord, can you teach us to pray like you? Let me just say this. This is a really bold, vulnerable request. And I don't think we automatically get that from this. Guys, here's what they're asking. Jesus, can you critique our current prayer life? Imagine this. At lunch today, you offer prayer for lunch, and somebody goes, hey, remind me, let's get together later. I've got some pointers on how you can pray better. I mean, they're opening themselves up in this vulnerable way to be critiqued, and they don't know what Jesus is going to say. He said, you know, I've been meaning to talk to you guys because you guys stink at this. But yet they open themselves up in this vulnerable way and say, Lord, will you, because after we've seen you, after we've watched you, after we've heard you, we think that maybe there's something we can do better. Maybe they even said it this way. We're not doing that right. There's another way to do it. I mean, his way seems so deep and meaningful now to us. Guys, it's going to require, and that's why I wanted to start the series with the question is because I want you to spend some time asking how is my prayer life. And it's going to require you to be honest and vulnerable. But ask the question, what if I'm not doing this right? Now, hold before you get offended at that and go, hold up. Is he saying that if I don't do this exactly right, that somehow I'm not pleasing to God? Guys, that's not spirituality, that's religion. And I'm not about peddling religion. What I'm saying, though, is that you begin to say, what if there's a different way to do this? What if there's something that I can add into, or maybe there's something I need to subtract from? What if there's a way for me to really begin to open this up? And this question is not, again, a question of judgment of your current, but it's an awakening of the notion that says, I can take my prayer life to the next level, that I can somehow go deeper with this. And here's how I know this is a valid question, even if you are kind of offended at, is he saying this or that? I know this is a valid question because each of us ask these types of questions, either currently, in the past, we will in the future, some sort of this kind of question. Is anyone really listening? I I mean, because it doesn't feel like it. Am I not using the right words? Because I'm not seeing any kind of results. So God, maybe I need to find some different language. Maybe, you know, maybe it's not big enough. Maybe I'm not doing it long enough. Or we say, you know, does this even work? And again, we have these doubts, these questions that we begin to ask. We say, am I really getting anything out of this? Because it sure doesn't feel like it. I mean, I just feel like this is so routine, so boring. Which, on a side note, if you're bored in your prayer life, God's probably bored too. But it's these questions that stir in our hearts that begin to lead us down a track that says, maybe I'm not doing this right. And these types of questions, I believe, are real, and they are what led the disciples into this place of honesty, into this place of vulnerability where they said, listen, (laughs) the desire for something more outweighs the potential embarrassment of me asking for help. And so they began to ask Jesus. They opened themselves up to be taught and learn how to do something. It has ever dawned on us that prayer is something we learn to do. We learn how to pray. 
it's one of those things that I think we think somehow, at least this is the way kind of I used to think, well, prayer is just talking to God. And, and whoever told me that somewhere back just said, okay, now you go and figure out what to talk about. And I'm going, oh, it's just talking to God. And so I would begin just chattering with God, and, and there were times that it did get routine, and it got boring and all these kinds of things. And, and while that's correct, it's not the full picture. And Jesus is going to reveal to us the full picture. So here's what we're going to do for the next six weeks. We're going to kind of shoulder tap Jesus and say, Lord, will you teach me how to pray? Will you, I'm ready to be taught. See, guys, communication is a learned thing. You don't get good at communicating in your marriage by not learning about how and what and when to say the right things. We, we learn to communicate in business. We learn to communicate on the field. We learn to communicate, and prayer's no different. We learn this. And so we're going to shoulder tap Jesus and make the same request. Jesus, will you, over the next few weeks, will you just teach me how to pray? And so what we're going to do is look at his response to that request. Matthew chapter 6 is where we're going to be. Matthew chapter 6, and I'm just going to stop periodically, so be patient with me as we kind of work through this. He says, and when you pray, stop. See, he uses the word when because there is an assumption that you're going to pray. There is an assumption that you are praying, that there is at least on some level a participation line that is being carried out by you. And so I just want to stop right there and say maybe for you, some of us today, that's your takeaway. In your Bible or in your mind, just underline when. Maybe the takeaway for you, that first step, that next step for you is a when step. When. Maybe put that on, on your mirror in your bathroom or on your dash. When. 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 When are you going to set up some time to regularly begin preaching or practicing what Jesus is teaching? And maybe that's for you. That's the entire takeaway today is that I've got to get to the when part. But he keeps going. He says, when you pray, and before we go any farther, here's what Jesus is about to do. He's going to kind of diffuse some things, some old bad habits that they've seen modeled for them, or maybe they're even doing themselves. And so, and again, in our lives, maybe there's some things we got to diffuse and say, okay, I've got to get rid of some things before I can begin to add some things. And here's what Jesus says. He says, and when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites. That's not us, so we can kind of forget that, right? We don't have any of those here. For they love to pray, standing in the synagogues, on the street corners, to be seen by others. Now, here's what's happening. In this culture, you had these holy people. They came by different names. Some were Sadducees and Pharisees and Zealots. But you had these, what was deemed culturally society as holy people. And they would pray on, in these really public places. It'd be like going downtown and maybe the street corner at, at Bridgestone. And, and they would pray these really loud prayers. And they were wordy, full of big words. God, you are God of sanctification and justification. And people go, wow, these are really holy people. And they would pray these complicated prayers, and everyone would be in awe of their ability to pray. And here's what this did. All it did was make the ones who walked by feel inferior about their connection with God. It made them feel like that I'll never get there. I'll never get to that place. And so this is what he's talking about. He's talking about this, this holy people. And he goes on to say, he says, yeah, that's what they do. You've seen this. You know the people, right? He says, but, he said, I tell you, they've received their reward in full. Now, Jesus is going to come back to this idea of reward in, in just a little bit. But, but there's this concept that prayer can be and should be, according to Jesus, rewarding. But he says, listen, 
that's it for them. What you see is all they get. You know, the applause and the oohs and the ahs and those, those moments where they go, wow, what holy people. He goes, that's it. That's as good as it gets for them. Their reward has been received in full. And then he switches gears. He says, but verse 6, but when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. See, Jesus says, maybe that your prayer life starts, and so for those of us who need to move from the when, okay, I'm, I'm doing this, I, I passed the when, maybe for you this is your next step, finding that place that's private. Jesus starts with valuing it in the private spaces and places of our lives. Now, he's not knocking public prayer. He's not knocking you praying for dinner out loud. He's not knocking you praying in your house groups. He's not knocking you getting together at Respond Banner and praying in, in circles of two, three, and five. He's not knocking any of those things. What he's doing is this. He's saying that, guys, there is something, even with those, there's something valuable there's something transformative about being alone with God. There's going to be something that when you get isolated, when you get free from distraction, he says, go into a room, a closet. He says, go into that space where maybe you can't see outside and maybe you don't, you know, leave your phone on the table. He says, when you get into these spaces that are alone, free of distraction, he says, I don't want you to miss out on the alone time that you can have with God the Father, with God the Creator, and here comes some of that reward, even though he doesn't say it. What we're going to find is that this is centering. This is peaceful. This is meaningful. Because all of a sudden, I began to tune into things that I might not have tuned in driving down the street or praying with my house group or just praying for dinner. He says, no, in these moments, he says, go. And he says, find this isolated alone. Guys, we see this all the time through Jesus' life. Chances are when the disciples asked the question, in fact, it says that when he finished praying in a what? Certain place. But we see this all throughout the ministry of Jesus. Jesus would get up way before everybody else was up and he would go to isolated places. He would go to the hillside by himself. He'd go out on the boat by himself. Jesus values and he wants us to value these alone times, these moments that we can just be with God. And then listen to what he says. He says, then... Your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. Then, your Father, who sees what is done in secret. Guys, I'm really excited about this part. Ready? Can we just breathe that in? Your Father, who sees what is done in secret. Can, can you just let that wash over you for a second? Guys, this is an absolutely breathtaking, amazing statement. Here's what he says. That the unseen God sees you. Your Father who sees what is done in secret sees you. Because this is game-changing. What if in your prayer life, whatever, wherever you fit on the spectrum, what if you could take that sort of confidence into that room? 
that what I'm about to do, the unseen God sees. What if I could take that sort of hope? What if I could take that sort of confidence and assurance that God, the Father, the Creator, sees me, that He hears me, that, 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 that somehow I get in the moment, I get His full attention. I, I think this would be, it would be enough. It would be enough to cause me to want to be involved in this more regularly than I am. It, it would be enough for me to somehow open up doors of honesty and, and communication in ways that I didn't think. It would be so life-giving. It would be life-shaping that God knows my name. That God hears my prayers. And he sees what is done. And say, I don't even have to do it on the corners. I don't have to be good at it. I don't have to use flowery language. I, I don't have to be loud. I don't have to jump up and down and tug on his coat for attention. No, he says, in these moments of quietness and stillness, he sees you. I don't think we'd need any other motivation. I don't think we'd need any other assurance that God sees us. And he says that he rewards us. And you go, well, hold up, I don't pray for the reward. Well, if you don't, you're one of the few that don't. Let's be honest. And whether you do it for the reward or not, Jesus says there's reward. And so if Jesus says there's reward, I'm going to embrace that there's reward. And he's going to come back to these kinds of things, and we're going to, we're going to kind of come uh, see those unfold over the next few weeks in depth. But I don't want you to confuse this with where reward equals exactly what I pray for. That if I pray for it, and I do it in a private place, that somehow that translates into me getting exactly what I want when I want it. We'll come back to that, though. Let's keep moving. Verse 7, he says, And when you pray, he says, Don't keep babbling like the pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Here's what they thought. If I can say the right things, use big enough words, say them loud enough, get enough applause, then God will somehow bend his will toward mine. That God will somehow be convinced that somehow, somewhere, God will begin to see things the way I see things, and therefore he'll begin to act accordingly. Because of what I say, this is what they believe, because of what I say, whether it be the words or the volume of the words or the sacrifice that goes along with all this, that somehow, in some way, God will have an obligation to give me something in return, what I want, what I need. And Jesus says, stop. He says, don't pray like this. I love one of the things that Andy Stanley says about this. He says, if that is as big as your God is, that he can be manipulated by your big words, then is that really a God you want to serve? If all it takes is for me to somehow interchange my vocabulary and make it bigger and make it louder, but yet then all of a sudden God goes, oh, well, that's really nice. That's flowery. Here you go. I want a God that's bigger than this. I want a God that's bigger than my momentary want and need. Think about this. How many prayers have you uttered in your life where you look back and go, man, I'm sure glad he didn't do that. I'm sure glad that my words weren't the primary manipulating way to get something done. I mean, I, I, I'm so glad that after seeing time unfold that God didn't do those kinds of things. I'm glad that he knew and continues to know that there's something bigger, that there is something that is beyond that. I'm, I'm glad that he is not primarily moved by my momentary passion, but instead he is moving on behalf of my needed direction. 
Jesus says, listen, it's not about babbling things and trying to convince God of something using some sort of vocabulary that you're not even comfortable with. You know, I was in uh, Mississippi several years ago. I just thought about this. And um, if you haven't been to Mississippi lately, there's just a whole other dialect down there. If you're from Mississippi, I love your state. Go Rebels. But I saw a guy who, who we had met before, kind of service had started, and, you know, and it was this like, man, I tell you what, my truck ain't running right, and I don't know what's wrong, you know, that kind of deal. But the moment that he stepped into prayer, it became this, thy Father in heaven, how? and I'm going, hold up, that dude wasn't talking like that four minutes ago. And I think that's what Jesus is referring to, that, listen, you don't have to somehow switch vocabulary gears here that that's not going to get you any farther. He said, so just kind of, can we put the pause button on that? Then he kind of keeps them moving toward this this model that he's going to give. Verse 8, he says, Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask. He knows what you need, what you want before you ask. And so here's the message in these two verses. He says, you don't have to convince him, and you don't have to manipulate him, nor do you have to inform him. It's not that information is bad. It's not that informing. And again, if you hang with us, you're going to see this kind of unfold, but he already knows those things. And I know what you're thinking. Well, if he already knows, then why do I need to tell him, right? I mean, what's the point? If, if, why do I need to spend the time in prayer if he already knows what I'm going to say? We'll get there. Just hang with me to the end. He says, but it's not a matter of convincing. It's not a matter of informing. And I believe that this is what the disciples see. They had witnessed their entire lives trying to convince God and inform God. And suddenly they see Jesus and wait, he's not doing either of these things. And that's what led them to the request in the first place. And so with all that in mind, here's what Jesus says. This then is how you should pray. He says, this is, this is my way of praying. Now, this is not meant to be exact wording. So every morning you get up and you utter these exact words. And, and when you do, that, when you follow the formula, things happen. It's not meant to be magic. It's not meant to, what he's doing is he's going to give us a guide. He's going to give us a model. He's going to provide new perspective. He's going to provide a new way of thinking, not just about prayer, but what we're going to see unfold is he's going to give us a new way of thinking about God. And he's going to say, listen, there's a new way to navigate your prayer time with God. Here's what he says. Our Father in heaven hallowed be your name. And I got to be honest, that's already a lot different than most of the prayers I say. That's already, you know, I kind of jump into that, dear God, appreciate what you're doing now. Let me just kind of get to my stuff here. He says, no, Father, he said, there's something about that. There's something intimate, but yet authoritative. He says, hallowed, he says, you are full of splendor and glory. And we're going to come back to this. But he says, be mindful of who you're praying for. Be mindful of who you're talking to, who you're spending time with. Be mindful of the fatherhood and the worthiness of who God is. And even though he is these things, he says, remember, you're still seen, you're still noticed, you are still invited into the presence of. Verse 10, he says, your kingdom come, your will be done. Now, we typically skip this part of the prayer. And in doing so, I believe what happens is that's where frustration begins to build. I think that's where misunderstanding of what happens in my life after I utter the prayer, the things that continue down the timeline, I think that some of these kind of things are birthed because we skip over this so quickly, but we can't miss two words. He says, your kingdom come. And what? Your will be done. God, your kingdom. God, your will be done. And here's what he's saying is that before I get to me, I got to surrender to him. 
Before you get to your stuff, he says, no, no, no. He says, how about surrendering to him? And in this, I think, lies a lot of our disappointment and frustration because I'm conditioned to believe and I live accordingly to what? My kingdom. My will. And in doing so, I think what we do is we spend a lot of time, don't miss this, I think we spend a lot of time asking God to serve and act on behalf of my kingdom. And Jesus says, let's get some things in order. Let's put some things in perspective. He says, pump the brakes before you jump in and start where we normally start with your kingdom and the things that are happening that are affecting your kingdom. He says, how about we establish kingship? How about we get in the habit of saying, Father, I am more committed to your kingdom than I am my own. Now, we're going to come back to this in week three, but we can't move past this too quickly because I think what happens in this is that we discover the purpose of prayer and that it's this, it's surrendering our will, not imposing our will. We'll come back to that. Verse 11, he says, give us today our daily bread. He says, now that you have life in its proper place, you understand who you're talking to, the worthiness of who you are. You have declared him king that his will be done, that his kingdom come. He says, now that you are driving life in its proper perspective, now let's get to the give me part. Give us, give me. It's, see, this is not only a request for provision, but it's recognizing who provides. It's complete dependency. God, give us our daily. God, you are the daily giver. Verse 12, and then forgive us of our debts as we also forgiven our debtors. See, here's a request for freedom. It's not just freedom uh, for, for yourself, but it's freedom for others, freedom from others even. God, I, I want to know that there is comfort in me being forgiven, but also I want to inhabit the capacity to forgive. And that starts by me recognizing my own condition where I'm in need of some things, not just where I needed some things, but future tense, where I'm going to need some things. And so, God, can you help me understand and embrace, not just in my own life, because maybe there's some baggage I need to drop, some guilt and shame, but also there's some relationship repair that would go a long way with me just understanding forgiveness. Then verse 13, he says, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. God, I need protection, but I need guidance. I need you to take the lead and this is all about intentions. God, I, I want to I get to a, a place in my life where I'm no longer intending to sin. I'm not intending to do evil. And can I just say, guys, that's not always been the case with me in my, my prayer life. There's a lot of time that I would pray intending to go do something. Or there's a lot of times that, that you know, you'd kind of let this sin kind of build up and build up and build up, and then you'd kind of, you know, drop it off, and then you'd kind of begin to build it up, build it up, build it up. And I would do that knowing intentionally that God would take care of it. But he's saying, no, no, how about we begin to intentionally seek to avoid these things? God, will you lead me? Will you take the lead in my life so that I can begin to avoid some of these things? Now, here's what you're beginning to see take form in just a few minutes this morning. We're going to spend the next five weeks in this. What we're beginning to see is this. The point, when I asked you a minute ago, well, why pray if God already knows what I'm going to say? Because here's the point. The point is recognition, surrender, dependency, and obedience. And I begin to let those things roll and shape my prayer life. Recognition, God, of who you are. Surrendering myself to your kingdom and your will. I am dependent on you 
for not just daily bread, but for the spirit of forgiveness. And I'm going to be obedient. I'm going to take and follow your lead. See, this kind of prayer always works. Always works. Not because it moves God, but because it moves us. It always works. When we begin to recognize, surrender, practice dependency, and practice obedience, we begin to be the one move. So see, it's no longer about manipulating God to move where we need him to move. No, we begin to move where he's already at. So as we land, here's the preview. Here's where we're going. Be real upfront with you where we're going the next five weeks. We're going to spend a week next week talking about the fatherhood and the worthiness of God. We're going to just use those two sentences and see what God unpacks. We're going to go from there to the kingdom and will of God. Don't miss that week. Because again, that's going to shape what kind of bread you ask for and what happens when he doesn't give you the kind of bread you ask for. Because you begin to understand and you begin to unfold what his kingdom. We're going to look at the provision of God, the forgiveness of God, the protection and guidance of God. See, this is not only just going to shape your prayer life, it's going to shape the way you view God. And that's what Jesus had in mind. You guys, if you will, stand with me. Here's my challenge to you this week as we close. I just want to lay, I've given you several challenges, several things to think about, but I want to, I want to lay this one out for everyone. I want you to, starting today, within the first five sentences of your prayer life, whatever that looks like for you and however you do it, whether you choose to use one of the sample prayers or begin to find and create words of your own or continue doing what it is, but in the first five sentences, I don't want you to ask for a single thing. Don't start off by asking, just take that one step. And I want you to know that asking God is not bad. And I don't want you to feel guilty for asking. I want you to know that God's there. And we see that in this prayer, that God is wide open for you to ask and seek that provision, to seek that guidance. But I want you to make those first five sentences more about understanding who God is, how we surrender to him. And then here's what's going to happen. The more we do that, Our needs and wants are shaped by that perspective. And suddenly we find ourselves asking for new things or asking for them in different ways. So I want to challenge you with that step. I want to challenge you with this step. Take the card and just say, I'm going to commit for six weeks to daily reading the prayers of someone else, but also beginning to implement these things in my life. Take a step. Maybe for you, your next step is this. I I need to know and experience the forgiveness that you mentioned briefly. And and maybe for you, letting go of some guilt and some shame. Again, I already told you no one's perfect. You say, listen, there's no way mentally, emotionally, physically, spiritually, I can engage with a God feeling the way I feel. Let me take that burden from you. Guys, we want to pray for you on that. We, we want to assure you that God is, is bigger than whatever it is you've done that's causing you to feel that way. So maybe for you, the next step is somehow beginning to unload some guilt, unload some hurt, unload some pain, unload some things that maybe just need to be forgiven. And so let us pray for that. Guys, I got a team of people that every week get to pray with me and pray with over our church. And, and they're vetted people, they're trusted people, they're confidential people. So don't be afraid. Find somebody in that red lanyard or go to respond and say, listen, I I can't hold this anymore. And if you're not in a place where you can verbally write it on something, I don't even care if you put your name, slide it in a give box, and we'll spend time praying for whatever the need is for whoever you are. 
But begin to work to that place where you begin to experience grace and love as God meant for it to be experienced. Maybe for you, your next step is baptism. Well, good news. It is 95 degrees out, and so July or June, June 17th, we're going to have a baptism Sunday. We'll baptize you anytime, but Sunday, June 17th, we already got a couple people that are going to make that their next step. And so you may say, I don't even know what baptism is. First time I've ever heard of it, or I've heard of it, but I don't really know a whole lot about it. Just take a card and say, I want to know more about that. And I'll get in touch with you this week. I'll take you to coffee. I'll buy. So we can talk about what baptism is and how that's such a a moment in life where you get to establish new identity. Maybe for you, it's community, it's connection, it's accountability. I need some people in my life who, who will ask me, hey, how's the prayer life going? And hey, how can I be praying about you and, and feeling value that comes with relationship? Guys, we're starting house groups today. Go out and get in a summer house group. Find a way to begin connecting. But here's what I want to pray for you this week, and I've already prayed it this last week. I'm going to continue to pray it this week, is that your week is filled with next steps or a step that they're your steps, and that those steps are toward recognition, surrender, dependency, and obedience. Father, in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. Lead us not into temptation but deliver us from the evil.